0: 75% of people think real estate agents aren't very trustworthy. The only way to change that perception is to change the reality. If you're looking for a career where integrity matters and you can guide others through tough, high-stakes decisions, come join us at Story Real Estate and help drive that 75% down to zero. I'm Chris, the owner and founder, let's see if we have a career you'll love.
1: Return of the gods? Nope. No, nope. I, I I say, nope. no, I want to say of the strong gods. I want <laughs> to say just any gods. Hey, I was gonna, I was gonna parlay this into Return of the Mac, but
0: Return <laughs> of <you remember> <laughs> yeah, the Mac. Yeah, there you go,
1: there you go. Hey, all, yeah, welcome no. to Politics on the Fight Laugh, Feast <laughs> Network. <laughs> Pastor Toby, Chuck Knox, I'm the Water Boy. It's good to be with you. And if you want to make sense out of anything that just happened there, you got to stick around for the interview. Apparently, apparently, just, yes. What's gonna happen. Hey, <laughs> the
2: Fight Laugh, Feast conference is like. No other, no other conference you've been to. What other conference, what other Christian conference do you know where it kicks off with beer and Psalms? Mm. Come on. Yeah, Mm. I'd I'd like to see hands if if you know of any other conference like Mm. that. Fight Laugh Laugh, Feast Conference is a gathering of rowdy Christians from all walks of life from all over the country who want to glorify God and build God, honoring families, businesses, churches, and see our nation bow to King Jesus. Mm. Uh, This year's uh, conference, I don't... I don't read the AI one. This is an AI one. I can tell. Somebody ran this. (laughs) They uh, didn't start off with AI. No, I know. know. AI wouldn't have wrote in that first part. I'm done with that part. Uh, This year's conference is on the politics of six-day creation. Uh, Human society begins in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. If we get that wrong, we get it all wrong. So buckle up Mm. as we fight, laugh, and feast. Beer and psalms. Amazing lineup of speakers. um, At the Ark Encounter... Um, uh, October 11th through the 14th. So go to fightlaffeast.com and sign up today. fightlaffeast.com One more ad real quick before we introduce our special guest. And this guest. is an even more important. I mean, I mean, seriously, this is awesome. Yeah. I love ads like this. I love it when people send us these ads. Yep. The Cummings family is hosting a hymn sing Sunday, October 1st from 5 to 8 p.m. in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hey, so hey uh, I'm so proud of Oklahoma. But uh, <laughs> Wow, you saying that? Texas Cave, you're saying that. <laughs> K, that, you're saying that. Hey, join them if you're passionate about worshiping God and music or just want to sing traditional hymns in an informal sitting, setting. Uh, email Christopher uh, at Mary at gmail.com. Mary at gmail.com for their address. West of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, they've got some extra hymnals. Uh, maybe if you have some, you can bring them. They're using the 1961 Trinity hymnals. Oh, great. Uh, like is Mary just- is going to have a baked potato... Excuse me, don't oh, interrupt the baked right. potato bar, no, sir. Bad, this is important. Oh, right. yeah. uh, dessert and coffee. You're not required to bring any food. Baked potato, dessert, But and you coffee. may bring potato toppings or dessert if you would like to do so. Bring lawn chairs in case oh, we want to run out of room. Mary at gmail.com. ChristopherandMary at gmail.com. For him sing October 1st. God right there. October 1st, 5 to 8 p.m. I love it. Uh, it's, it's awesome. Go sing hymns and psalms um, in Tulsa. So
1: potatoes are dessert
2: in Oklahoma? and dessert and dessert we're very grateful to have with us today on the show mr rusty reno he's the editor of first things magazine which you don't know about first things magazine i i don't know what to tell you um former professor of theology and ethics at creighton university author of the newish book it's been out for a couple years return of the strong gods nationalism populism and the future of the west rusty thanks for joining us on cross politic
3: Hey, great. You know, listening to the uh, your description of your conference, it puts me in mind of my Dominican friends. They have a bluegrass band called Hillbilly Thomists, and their headlining song is Bourbon, uh, what is it? Bourbon Bluegrass and the Bible. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so I think uh, we're all tapping into some of the same good spirits, oh, so to wow. speak. Well,
2: Rusty. <laughs> Appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Um, this book is, um, very, I mean, it's been making the rounds and um, it's actually. I, remaking I, the rounds. Yeah, remaking yeah. the rounds and um, and grateful uh, for your work on it. Um, just introduce our audience to this idea of the strong gods. What do you mean by the strong gods? And, and since the title is Return of the Strong Gods, what happened to them? <laughs> and um, why are they coming back now?
3: Well, strong gods is a metaphor for the strong loves and loyalties that, you know, motivate us to come together and pursue um, grand projects, or maybe not so grand projects. I mean, obviously, marriage is a kind of strong god that calls for for us to, you know, put down our self-interest and serve, you know, the, the one we love, and to build our families and Nation is a strong God. Truth is a strong God. And obviously, you know, the real God, the, tr- the, the one true God, is, is the strongest um, God of them all. Um, and so, you know, this is just basically the stuff of human um, commitment. And what happened was that after World War II, a consensus really emerged that, you know, th- these loyalties and commitments and loves can become very destructive. And that's you know, it's true, it's true, they can become destructive. And so we developed um, a kind of cultural program of trying to weaken, um, weaken these gods and uh, make people less uh, passionate, in effect. And we, we saw that in a kind of what I call the open society consensus that emerged Uh, which I'm sure sure I would have supported in 1950. Hmm. Uh, But over the decades, it's become a kind of flesh-eating consensus, where we're not allowed to believe anything passionately. And I think um, a pedagogy that emphasizes critique is a good example of that. Also, kind of a pervasive irony and cynicism is another sign of evidence of the triumph of the open society consensus. And we've reached a point where so much has been disintegrated, um, that people have no solid place to stand. And I interpret populism, or the sort of Trump phenomenon, nationalism, Hungary, Poland, um, Georgia Maloney, and Italy, is that people hunger for uh, these strong loves that unite us. And so we're seeing uh, a politics that's
2: evolving that I think is suggests a return of the strong gods. Rusty is, is that, um, is this fundamentally different than the overarching, um, enlightenment project? Um, I mean, I I think of the enlightenment, um, and the, uh, as a major project saying religion and, and you know, um, the love of, um, Gods and faith and things like that—that's what causes all our conflict in the world. Is this sort of a reiteration of that project post World War?
3: No, because the Enlightenment was that the God of Truth was going to supplant uh, the false God um, of of the Bible, the true God. You know, a lot of these uh, Enlightenment figures were deists, yeah. So that they—it wasn't a God, but it was a, a high and noble ideal that we were going to. We were going to um, uh, serve, uh, you know, people like Immanuel Kant and, you know, this starry uh, skies above and the inner voice of conscience within. And I think that open society consensus is really, um, as we've seen in the postmodern kind of disintegration of the idea of truth, that um, we're in a post-truth environment. Uh, we're not supposed to believe anything strongly. Uh, in our present uh, consensus, so non-judgmentalism. You know, Pope Benedict spoke of the dictatorship of relativism. It's paradoxical. So one of my friends criticized me uh, with the notion that uh, isn't political correctness a strong god of sorts? And um, and I see it as a kind of obligatory weakening. Everybody has to kind of renounce all their strong convictions, and we police each other. Uh, we police um, convictions you know this is you know, signs he has a, a no home and he has a no home here they're all now you're right there's a kinship with this enlightenment attack on christianity but you know uh it's broadened into an attack on really any kind of anchoring truth
0: got it um as you're as you're I mean, I got some I'm writing down here. And these are not the questions that I intended to ask. But as you're talking, I'm thinking, OK, it seems like the weak gods, the weak gods seem pretty strong.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which ones are you thinking of? Uh, well, I'm thinking of multiculturalism, multiculturalism, LGBTQ stuff. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of we'll, we'll back up here. I mean, so what, what do we got here? It's
3: everybody has to be accepted in exactly the way way they want to be accepted. Um, yes, I mean these are urgent uh, imperatives, but they depend upon how can we everybody be accepted in the way they want to be accepted. you have to use whatever pronoun you want to use. If there's any, if anybody has strong convictions, so we're all supposed to kind of bracket our actual convictions. You know. Uh, we have a biblical view about what it means to be human. We're not supposed to bring that into the public square because that'll that'll prevent people from being accepted, the one it is accepted. So it, it's a it's a certain kind of it, it's not an accident. It's called political correctness and not moral correctness because the political um, is at an arm's length from you know the, our our inner convictions. Am you know, I making sense here? But you, this line of Criticism has been, I think, pressed on me by by many. Okay, um, but I think it's a it's a kind of obligatory. Everybody's got to be accepted, what? and everybody has to be non judgmental. We get heavily policed to make sure that we adopt this open society consensus. Can, can I pick back yeah, on that
2: question? I'm, yeah, if, yes. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, I, my one my one uh, follow up on that is, is so it. it I think I I get exactly what you're talking about and, and, and appreciate it. And I think the one thing that has, has uh, kind of bugged me though a little bit is uh, when I, when I think of strong gods, uh, strong loyalties, strong allegiances, I I think of the, you know, the willingness to, to die and the willingness to kill. And so you think of, you know, despite the wickedness of paganism, um, you know, they would sacrifice to their gods. They, they, you know, people would die because of their loyalties and their allegiances to their gods. And in, it's in this era, era of the weak gods that we murdered 65 million babies. Mm. Um, it, how, how do you hold those two things together?
3: Well, but we don't, uh, we're not, we don't, I mean, the people who support the right to abortion, they, they don't acknowledge uh, this. It's all hidden uh, f- uh, from view. Another would be the pandemic. I mean, the god of health. Is it a strong god or a weak god? Um, I think it's a god of weakening. You know, in other words, we're we are going to, I mean, what is health? It's a pretty small, it, it, it's precisely what makes us anxious and fearful. Um, so I'd say the pandemic is a kind of Obviously, it was very uh, lockdowns and things like that. These were very much draconian methods that used the power of the state to control us. But towards what end? Was it a high end or was it a low end? Survival. I don't think of survival as being. Uh, that's not a god that can motivate us to make sacrifices. Suppose, <laughs> um, uh, you know, where is the where or. Yeah, it's not a It's not a, role, it's not a God that can uh, evoke in us a sacrifice of ourselves.
0: Except, though, that's, it seems like that's what they did with the vaccine. How so? Well, they have this experimental drug that hasn't been tested, and they brought themselves to the altar of the God to get shot with its. I don't know, it's like a form of communion almost. <laughs>
3: yeah, but it wasn't. I mean, they didn't tell people that it was dangerous. They told people it was safe, 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 safe. Uh, so yes, a lot of a lot of a lot of stuff was sold to us uh, in that. But how did it come about that the American people would be so fearful and so easily cowed? Um, you know, I think part of my book is my book is an attempt to explain how we've gotten to the point where um, we have no solid place to stand. Mm. But you have a no solid place to stand. If you gotta stand for something, or you fall for anything, as the country music song um, goes, and there's a lot of truth in that, in that um, commonplace wisdom.
0: Can um, I? I'm gonna ask. I want to just a follow yeah. up here. So then, what is destructive about strong gods? Because you you made the 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 assertion earlier that you thought that there was something that it could be destructive to have strong gods. And so there's, there's, there's a warning there, I heard. But what is it that is destructive about the strong gods? Because it seems like we're going, your book, they're, they're returning. So have we learned anything from, from previous generations of having strong gods? It's
3: really important that you worship the one true God. Because he puts, he puts these other lesser loves in their proper order. Mm. You know, love of family is a noble thing, but it's not the highest thing. Love of country is a noble thing, but it's not the highest thing. And so one of the, that's why it's so important, I think, the Christian influence on our nation has was was very much receded, especially among our ruling elite. It was so important because it gave a proper order to our loves.
0: That's good. That's really good. And,
2: and so then when, when those loves... So I, I'm, I'm
3: concerned. I mean, I have some sympathy... I mean, I, you know, I vote for Donald Trump. I, uh, I'm sympathetic to the populist impulse. But I, I have sympathy for my friends who are very fearful uh, because we, our nation is very de-Christianized. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that kind of atmosphere, uh, disordered loves can gain the upper hand. Yeah. And uh, that's why I think the voice of Christians in the public square is so important because uh, mm-hmm. we remind people, yes, these are... You're right for your heart to be um, to be won by patriotic love and certainly by um, loyalty to your family. Uh, these are these are you know. So what you're hungering for is correct, um, but but you know, but it has to be put in its proper place.
2: Mm. Okay,
3: Do
1: you have a question? Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking about. I think part of our line of questioning is. Here is we're assuming strong gods win, weak gods lose. But is, <laughs> is it is part of what you're arguing is like you need strong gods for a thriving society, um, and weak gods are for uh, is society that won't last. You can't build off weak gods. Is that kind of how
3: are you going to get people related? to make? How are you going to get the wealthy, oligarchs in our society? to sacrifice their self-interest for the sake of the future of our nation. You know, Apple's got a huge investment in China. Uh, it's going to be very painful. Deglobalization, which is now happening, is a very painful process for the folks who have made tremendous fortunes um, in the globalized economy. And, you, you know, you have to have, there have to be these unifying loves for a society to unite. And people say, yes, I'm going to do this for the sake of what I care about more than my own um, balance sheet or my own self-interest. Um, without strong gods, people are atomized and they wind up turning in upon their own self-interests.
4: Mm.
3: And, uh, and then it's a kind of, uh, there's no underlying social capital, so to speak, to use that technical terminology uh, that can, we can fall back on to meet external challenges as a nation.
2: All right, I want to know what's so bad about multiculturalism? Isn't it good? <laughs> it's an
3: ideology of empire. Uh, you know, you can't have a democracy unless people are united in common loves. And if they're united in common loves, then it ain't a multicultural. It's a, it's a it's a single culture because it's the loves we share that define our culture. And I think you know the American love is. One of them is really powerful, and it's a love of freedom. Uh, in fact, I, I think strong gods are necessary for freedom because you can only be free if you can say no to the principalities and powers that rule this world, um, including the government. And uh, you can only say no if you've got a solid place to stand. And part of the open society consensus was to create freedom and on the surface. It seems like it will weaken all this moral, you know, moral norms, we'll legalize marijuana, um, you know, we can, we can, have gay, you can marry whomever you want, um, you know, whether it's a man or a woman, et cetera, et cetera. It seems like an expansion of freedom, but by undermining these strong cultural norms, mm. we really get people don't have a strong place, they don't have a solid place to stand. And no solid place to stand means you're going to be racked with anxiety and we're going to have enough money for retirement. I can't afford to take a stand on this issue because I'll lose my job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or people will shame me on social media. So, you you need a lot of, you need a stiff spine in our current uh, society to stand against a lot of these negative trends. So, and uh, so, so. not surprisingly, it's religious folks. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to be religious to recognize the difference between a man and a woman. Right. I mean, I think it's class and biology right. uh, but it's not an accident that it's religious folks who are the ones who are the most visible opponents of transgender ideology why because we actually have this strong love um, you know and our faith gives us a, a very solid a, it's a supernaturally solid place to stand
2: that's that's uh, really helpful to to um I like the way you address the question about multiculturalism as, as a shared love. I think what frequently happens no, is... multiculturalism is not a shared love. Oh, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying, that, but I think that's the answer. You're saying the answer is... Look, if I was advising the
3: thousand richest people in the United States, how do you make the American people as docile and supine as possible? I would say, just make them as multicultural as possible. Because they can't, then they won't be able to unite to resist uh, the power of the elite. That's often. why I said multiculturalism is the ideology of empire. Yeah, uh, I see what you're saying. It's also false. You know, people say, oh, the United States is a very multicultural country. Look, you get some foreigner to come, and they say, good grief. You know, Americans all think the same. <laughs> and it's a black, brown, white, yellow, it doesn't matter. Uh, we got a very shallow culture, society, you know, American culture. It's shallow, but it sure is wide, and it's very powerful. And the children of immigrants get Americanized often into the shallowest kind of consumerist mass mm-hmm. culture imaginable. But we're all recognizably, um, not everyone. I mean, you know, a lot of people uh, come to this country and they bring with them their own culture. But As I'm saying, their children get socialized pretty darn quick. Um, so I'm a kind of an American optimist. Yeah. I think if we could, uh, uh, get rid of some of this multicultural ideology, we could begin the process of trying to figure out, uh, what it is that we share and and recognize what we share.
2: I was just going to say, I think that frequently the accusation is if you're against multiculturalism, you're a racist. Right. I mean, that's the accusation. That's where I was going. Yeah. And, and I think it's help- Isn't it the other way around. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think it's actually helpful the way, the, the way that you're, you're coming back at it and saying, actually, what you're trying to do is you're trying to have us have less love for good things, which ultimately is going to end up being hateful. Well, like, uh, you know, I just
3: presume that my fellow Americans share my love of my, of our country.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, it doesn't matter what, race they are, whatever that means, race, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what race they are, um, they, you know, I just presume they love our country. Now, you know, sometimes you're wrong, but usually you got to have an advanced degree at a fancy-pants university uh, not to love our country. <laughs> and it has more to do with your social class than it has to do anything to do with your race or ethnic
0: origin. It seems, though, that the conversation, at least the one that I see happening on social media, when somebody says multiculturalism, the way that they're defining that usually is by saying race, right? Like race is multicultural. That's what they're thinking of. And so when people and I've watched this happening, because at first, even for me, maybe this is just because I have such a. I'm still getting out of the enlightenment moment. I'm still developing outside of the post-World War II consensus. I'm still coming out of that. But when I, because it's such the common way of communicating, when someone says multiculturalism, I'm, I'm thinking of we're talking about races. And so there's a fear there that people are thinking, well, if you're talking about the return of the strong gods and race is a strong god, then are we about to go back to yeah. the 20s, the 30s? you know, what's what's happening here? So when we're talking multiculturalism, I think it's really important that we define what we mean by that. What is the culture? And does it involve race? And I guess those three questions. One more. <laughs> is race a strong God?
3: It can be, for sure. It certainly was in Germany in the 1930s. Um, and it has been in our own history in the past. I, I think multiculturalism came in strong, strongly. Um, I mean, its origins were... And I think the first one of the early first times it was used is in, in the Hawking report on uh, foreign missions in the 1930s, and it really had a lot of its origins in missionaries who were, you know, they were going to convert the world in one generation, and they didn't do it, and and a lot of the failure they kind of uh, they came back and and they wanted to think about their ministry as a kind of sharing of good works rather than converting. They developed this idea of multiculturalism. But I think it was adopted in the United States in the um, 1980s as a way of uh, covering over what was essentially, uh, what what, what is the essential wound in American society, which is the black-white divide. So it was a way of covering that over. So we're not going to talk about black and white. We're going to talk about multiculturalism. It was a lot easier for white folks to talk about multiculturalism than it was for white folks to talk about um, Jim Crow or or what we're now seeing coming back which is talking about reparations. I mean, reparations is based on a strong god of justice. I'm not in favor of rep- reparations because I don't think they're just. Um, I don't think Barack Obama's children should get money um, uh, from uh, taxes paid by uh, some working stiff in Richmond who happens to be white. But, but I do think it I, I've, I've always thought that multiculturalism and diversity, yeah. those were all kind of soft terms that were used to talk about, uh, to avoid talking about the, one of the real hard hard questions in, a, in American life.
1: You know, Rusty... Um,
3: I would say the only real multicultural... There is multiculturalism in the sense that Black Americans uh, are a distinctive and distinct stream of American culture. Mm. Uh, whereas I think... You know, you got these Mexican young guys whose parents and grandparents came to Texas thirty, forty, fifty years ago, whatever, and they grew up. They're born here. They grew up here. You know, they drive around in their pickup trucks with the gun rack in the back and the American flag. Amen. Amen. Wearing cowboys wearing cowboy boots, and um, you know, I, I think uh, I think of you know people were very pessimistic about Italians and Irish and. Germans and all these eastern weirdo Eastern European people with strange names you couldn't pronounce ever come real Americans yeah uh, and that was the case in the you know in the twenties and thirties and lo and behold uh, but, I, but I but I do but I do think uh, uh, the African American culture is distinct and remains distinct uh, so I accept multiculturalism among uh, on those terms.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I, I wonder, what, what do you think is that's making them distinct, just the slavery itself, that that was the way that they were brought into America? What's distinct about that?
3: Slavery, racial oppression for 100 years after the end of the Civil War, um, and then, you know, to, to to live on in the, if you will, if I could be uh, radical here, to live on the kind of plantation of the post nineteen sixties welfare system.
2: Oh, yeah, uh, right.
3: those are all. Those are all very. Now that's not. That's not only Black Americans. Sure. I mean, there are white folks in West Virginia that are getting, you know, aid for dependence with children. Yep. You know, and all that food stamps and all that sort of thing. But it, it, you know, living as I do in New York City, it's very obvious that in many urban er- areas of America, that welfare system is allowed, has allowed as created uh, a- a- allowed for the evolution of um of black culture in a way that is is, that is distinct rusty what do you see not necessarily in a positive way my friend but it's a reality yeah
1: Mm. rusty what do you see as the solution i mean we you know we talk on our show um uh you know we started our show to be able to talk about the gospel and politics why is jesus lord over politics and it seems to me like the only way out of the decline of what's going on in our country is through like reformation, revival, like repentance. What do you Yeah, say? I mean,
3: revival, repentance. I mean, I, I guess I, I, I recount in the book, this experience I had, I was in this church in Omaha, Nebraska It was a black white church that merged together out of financial necessity. And, uh, you know, we, one of the elders of the church, black man, retired secret service, um, you know, uh, uh, law enforcement, all that sort of thing. You know, he, he had a screening of Tuskegee Airmen. And mm-hmm. you know, he was, it was just such a traumatizing experience for him to watch the film, because how could we have treated uh, those black men that way? Right. Uh, I'm like, oh, you know, whatever is kind of, a, to me, that's, the, it's not forgiveness. It's just a sense of solidarity that we're all we're all part of the same country and so we we share benefits we share burdens we share even past
0: sins Mm. that's a that's what we're gonna have to be saying about the abortion take right now how did we do this yeah how did we do this? how did we you know
1: Mm. covenant responsibility me is a very
0: powerful word and i i've uh,
3: you know when i listen to politicians uh, I'm very sensitive to whether they use the "we" word
5: mm-hmm. uh,
3: because I think the American people are desperate for it. All so, right, I mean, like I say, there are plenty of activists, progressive activists who are maybe beyond the pale. But in my experience, most people in our country they want to be part of a shared project. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's not the same as you know we got we're different from you know we don't you know our salvation of our souls is not dependent upon. Uh, the United States of America. Right. Um, but we rightly want in this world to be part of things that are noble and just. And, uh, and I think that, again, I think this is where um, I think uh, the churches and Christian folks um, have a, an important contribution to make um, to the renewal of the country.
2: How are you paying for health care, and how's it working out for you? If it's working perfectly great, if not, listen closely because i have a solution for you a biblical solution samaritan ministries is a community of christians who pay one another's medical bills here's here's how it works when a medical need arises you choose the provider that's right for you and have a say in the treatment you receive even if it's a non-conventional approach your medical bills are shared with fellow members and your need is covered in prayer it's affordable you can join any time even today learn more Today at SamaritanMinistries.org slash CrossPolitik. That's SamaritanMinistries.org slash CrossPolitik.
0: Return of the Strong Gods, Nationalism, Populism, and the Future of the West. Go get it. R.R. Yeah. R. Reno. It's a great book. Very helpful. Rusty, thank you so much for joining us on CrossPolitik. It's been
3: great, and uh, thanks for your ministry.
0: If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids, and if you have kids, go baptize them until tomorrow. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is cross-politic. Hi, I'm
5: Luke Ritchie. Wrong timeline. <laughs> okay, that's better. Time travel mechanics can get a little bit tricky. I'm Luke Ritchie, Chief Visionary Officer of Gravity Jack. In 2009, we founded Gravity Jack and essentially patented AR. What I'm about to tell you about is a vision that was 14 years in the making, War Tribe of Vinyamin. This is a game that feels so real, it might be. It's a genre-defining game for AR and mobile and the Apple Vision Pro. We've integrated artificial intelligence, not just into the characters in the game, but actually in the business model of War Tribe. So I love augmented reality games. They're one of my favorites. Uh, But the problem is, it seems like they've added AR as an afterthought into the game. What if you sat down for 14 years and planned the entire thing around augmented reality? Games make a ton of money. And typically that money doesn't end up in the pocket of the players. We intend to change that. Lastly, and this is important, half the world has never and never will be targeted by big tech for an AI natural language processing engine. We're definitely going to change that. War Tribe of Binyamin has gameplay like you've never seen before. We have portals opening everywhere, we have holographic communication, but what's really cool too is the world of 2133 is accurately geo-overlaid on the world of today. We're laser-focused on ROI for our shareholders, which is you. One of the things we're doing that's super unique that's never been done before is taking 10% of in-game revenue monthly and giving it off as a dividend. The other co-founders and myself We started Gravity Jack in 2009, but in 2007 we'd actually sold our company to a gaming company. We've hired the best of the best in terms of game development. Our director of development, product designer, are all veterans in the gaming space. Uh, And not only that, we're going after a market that's gigantic. We're combining four huge major markets, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, translation, and gaming. uh, All for a combined market value
4: of 1.85 trillion. Our incredible history has led us to be experts in mobile development, augmented reality, AI, gaming, and computer vision. It's been a wild ride here at Gravity Jack. A benefit to being so early on in augmented reality has led to a robust patent portfolio with active revenue and more to come. We've had the privilege of working with clients such as Oscar Mayer, Kraft, Lincoln, Samsung, T-Mobile. We've also worked on non-lethal Department of Defense contracts as well. We were a reference developer for Meta on the Oculus 2 directly, creating a game where other developers look to our source code for best practices. Early on in Gravity Jack's history, we did a game for Double Down Casino, and at the end of that contract, it was grossing $35 million a month. Our robust history has led us to be experts in augmented reality, AI, gaming, computer vision, and mobile development. Play to earn opportunities for the impoverished create an AI language model for unreached people groups, allowing us to have an eventual monopoly on speaking to half the planet. Our focus is shareholder dividends, immediately after the game and into the future, to create a game that's gonna blow the world's minds. And we're pulling people out of poverty and into productivity. So what's the ask? Join the Binyamin. Hi, I'm Luke Ritchie.
0: Again?